Hey, 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 everyone. Yes, it's Dr. Tamara Beckford with Your Cure and Docs, where we bring you all this great health and wellness info so that you can feel empowered and you can take an active role in your life. But we have this great segment where it's called Your Cure and Docs, Docs Who Care. Why? Because we bring on all the best docs from all over the world, and they are going to drop some gems. They're going to highlight some health and wellness info. And the biggest part is they're going to leave their info here so you can know where to find them in case you want to be part of their team, if you want to be a client or a patient of theirs. That's right. These are the docs who care. Today, I have a special segment. Yes, we have Dr. Randy Satcher. Now, let me give you a little bit of Dr. Satcher, right? So she went to the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. Shout out to all my Nikon people out there. Yes. Hello, hello, hello. Then she also did her internship at Massapequa General Hospital, right? Then she did her general psychiatric residency at LIJ, Long Island. That's the Long Island Jewish Hospital. Yes, and my Long Island people, hello, hello, Zucker Hillside Hospital. Then she did her fellowship because she didn't want to stop there. She wanted to help more and more people. So what did she do? She did fellowship at the Long Island Jewish Schneider Children and Adolescent Hospital. So she did a child and adolescent fellowship. And she is double board certified in child and adolescent um, psychiatry in the American Board of Psychiatry and the American Board of Neurology. After that, what did she do? Did she stop there? Mm -mm. She got some more training because she wanted to help more people. So how did she do that? She got trained in dialectical behavioral therapy. And with all of her skill set, she has opened up her practice, right? So she opened up her practice in a while. So she's the founder and owner of Silver Psychiatric Services in North Carolina. So all you North Carolina people, you have a gem there that is taking excellent, excellent care of you right so without further ado we are welcoming Woo! Randy. yes welcome, Hi, welcome, everybody. welcome yes how are you good how are you hope everyone out there is doing good too say that again I said, hope everyone out there is doing well too. I know we absolutely do hope you're doing well, you know, and if you aren't feeling your best today, we are going to show you some ways and techniques and how you do that. Why? Because Dr. Randy Satcher, she is going to help us by talking about different type of psychotherapies. Now, I know you're like, what? The most you've probably heard of that is from watching a movie. <laughs> but he's going to break it down for us, right? Yes, absolutely. So come on and tell us, what are the different types of psychotherapy that's out there? So there's different ways of breaking it down. First, mm -hmm. you can break it down from an individual approach to a family system or a group or marital, right? So either you're doing and you're seeing somebody by yourself to address your own issues, or there's a conflict that's happening with you and other people, whether it's your parents and you not getting along or you and your spouse or significant other. So that's one way of breaking it down. And then there's something called a group where you're meeting with a, 
facilitator therapist and a bunch of other people that may be struggling in some way similar to what you're struggling. So that's one way of breaking down therapy. Mm -hmm. And then the other way of breaking it down, so there's, let's say, there's a psychodynamic style of therapy, which comes from Freud. And usually it's psychoanalysis is like the most wholesome version, which is a very intensive therapy. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, I think people were doing it five and three times a week. Mm -hmm. And the concept is to try to break down your defenses a little bit. So you talk about your most vulnerable self and there's just this very big component of you recounting your feelings and experiences in an effort to try to make an understanding, maybe explore some thoughts or feelings that were left unconscious but are impacting your day to day. Mm. And then there's behavioral therapy, which comes in different shapes and sizes. And that's really more focused on what are the behaviors that we're doing that are a problem? And then what are some skills or examples that we can use to try to change those behaviors? And that's more commonly used in very young people mm -hmm. because they may not have the cognitive capacity to actually share or talk about their feelings right. for people who have developmental disorders. So even though they might be adults, they might not be able to kind of speak about that higher thought process. Right. And then there's cognitive behavioral therapy that kind of combines the two, the behavioral piece, but they also talk about the negative thoughts or feelings that accompany some of our behaviors mm -hmm. and how to kind of undo them. Within the cognitive behavioral concept, there are many divisions, right? So DBT is a type of CBT, but it specifically focuses on emotion regulation and um, interpersonal situation. So how do we manage our emotions? How do we understand what's happening and not be so reactive in the process, but kind of find ways to um, manage when our emotions get the best of us so that we don't harm ourselves or harm the people that we interact with in that emotional excess. Right. Um, and then there, so eclectic therapy, which is probably what many therapists use, is a combination of each depending on the individual, right? Mm -hmm. So we may train in one type of therapy and that's our primary, but most people train in multiple ways of doing therapy. And so they may, if a good therapist is on in your, if you're in an office with a good therapist, hopefully they will know when to shift from one to another based on what's working or not working with your style or personality, right? Mm -hmm. So then there's um, humanistic therapy, which kind of came out of war, right? So during wartime, there was a lot of really difficult emotions that we had to deal with. And so a lot of things got suppressed and shut down. And that's broken down into like existentialism, gestalt behaviors and person-centered where we may in ourselves have things that are not healthy or not well. And so we focus in the moment on what's happening as we describe it. And so like with existential therapy, for example, or Gestalt, what would happen is the therapist would notice the cognitive dissonance or the difference between what you're saying, but your body language while it's happening and say, hey, you're talking about something really serious, but you're laughing. What is going on there right. that there's this emotional disconnect and try to figure out what's actually happening. And so for some people, when they talk about something uncomfortable, laughter is an easy way to kind of make it last so, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think a so, lot of comics do that. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that for them, it serves them, right? That if you, so when you think about like, so the psychodynamic therapy treatments, right, they talk about defense mechanisms. And one of the higher defense mechanisms is humor. Altruism, what's that concept of helping others for the sake of helping others, not to get acknowledgement, but just that by helping, we can feel better. And then humor is also a, a better way, right? So there's lots of defense mechanisms that we use. And Hopefully, whoever your therapist is, even if they choose CBT and they don't explore your history and your relationship with your mom, they'll still be attuned to what are some of those defense mechanisms that you're using. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And you can see why one of the best ways to explain all of this is through, you can see it through movies, you know, because it, 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 it really highlights and then you can relate say okay that's probably me because as i was listening to you i found myself there <laughs> i'm oh, like uh oh there i am in that one. Oh, yeah 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 <laughs> she is the only thing out. i can say about the whole movie situation is that yes. many therapists a majority of therapists don't sleep with their patients and you know because it's yes, always please. hello and doctors <laughs> yes we do <laughs> It is in our oath. We are right. it's in our oath, okay? It is not common. Even though it's really common in the movies because it's great drama, that is not the common thing. It's supposed to be a safe place where you can be vulnerable and work through your feelings without someone being predatorial. Absolutely. I'm glad that we <laughs> highlighted that. So that's that's Hollywood people. Right. It Hollywood is totally, and, and less good. than zero zero, probably point one percent. Okay. Does not happen. Your psychotherapist or your psychiatrist is here to help you. Okay. It's right. not a predatory. You're at your weakest point. Us as doctors, our first, the first line in the Hippocratic oath, first non-premium no sir. Okay. So that's so we, we're glad that we highlighted that. So um now we you've gone through the different types of um cognitive behavioral therapy dissonance therapy and all the different types of psychotherapy um let's now kind of highlight a little bit of um how you because you have additional training um and you also are an osteopathic doctor right. and i know a lot of people they're not really familiar with what osteopathic medicine is but sure. i'd love you for you to highlight what osteopathic medicine is and how you use that particular skill set in helping your patients okay so a little history so a guy named andrew taylor still was a medical doctor and quite brilliant and smart and he at the time that medicine existed at that time, he was questioning how we were treating symptoms and not treating people. Mm -hmm. And so he created a medical school that actually allowed us to incorporate both questions as opposed to just one. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I look at it is you're in a room with 100 people and one person is sick. Five days later, five people are sick and the rest are not. So now you've got, you know, 94 people that did not get it. They had all equally mingled with that sick person. What makes those five people versus those 95 people, four people different? What are the vulnerabilities? And the goal would be to take those people that were more susceptible mm -hmm. and build up their immune system and their resilience so that they can better protect themselves in the future. 
Mm -hmm. right? And so understanding those differences, because we seemingly are the same, and if we only treated the symptoms, then we're not figuring out how to be preventive. And so that was what kind of his belief is that we can, through understanding our body and how it works, help people heal themselves without, because their, their baseline is higher, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a, part of why psychiatry for me is so meaningful is because we have the biopsychosocial model as well, right? So there's the biological piece, the psychological piece, and the social impact that, cre that contributes to mental illness. From an osteopathic perspective, it's that same concept. Who are we as an individual? What are our genetics? What is the environment that's contributing, that's create, mitigating, contributing, or mm -hmm. preventing whatever illness they're presenting with? Wonderful, wonderful. So when your patients come in, you mm -hmm. are using both of your skill set, like everything to incorporate. Yes. Like, so right. you enter with a, I am feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. So how does that, what are some of the ways that you can just, just give us a little bit of a highlight of sure. how you would um, handle a patient's coming in. And I'm saying all this because we're in a period now and we're gonna, and Dr. Um, Satcher is gonna also, you know, help us with anxiety too, because we are really in a very um, unusual period in time where most of us have never gone through what we're going through now. So we might've all have been, you know, well and functioning, but then now we're noticing little things are creeping in, right? It's like, I never felt this way before. Why am I feeling this way? So Dr. Satchez just kind of try to help us to, to learn how she approaches patients who come to her with some of these particular um, questions, right? Yes. So first what I want, I would do was try to elicit what the symptoms are. So for depression, we can have fatigue, sadness, negative self-talk, increased desire to isolate. And then you kind of want to find out when did these things start, mm -hmm. how significant, how much of it it is, um, and then um, what are the contributing factors? Mm -hmm. So is it out of nowhere and every fall at around the time when the sun sets earlier, do you notice that you're eating more, you're sleeping more, you're withdrawn more, you don't take as good care of yourself and there's a cyclical pattern? right? Because there, that does happen for lots of people. Mm -hmm. Or is there some anniversary of something horrible and stressful that happened in your life? And so every year after that, or is there something that happened and when there are cues of that past event involved, let's say the, um, you had some kind of traumatic event, and then every time you are around something that's similar or reminds you of that situation or relationship, there's a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. um, or is it that you, for, you're overworked and you're not taking care of yourself and not sleeping as well and doing things that would keep you healthy, and then it's a secondary component. So you really kind of want to tease out what are the things that may be contributing mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, is there a genetic component? Like, do, do we know that everybody in your family line, all women after the age of 40, start having panic attacks, right? Mm -hmm. There are definitely families that you can like check off and you're like a time clock waiting. And mm -hmm. then they, you know, so what worked for grandma, what worked for mom, thyroid's normal, there's not, you know, any neoplasms, carcinoid tumors or anything causing it, which can mimic symptoms of anxiety, of course. Absolutely. Um, and then, so understanding where it is helps tr the treatment approach, right? Because there are things that we medically have to treat. Mm -hmm. Like if you were hypothyroid and that was causing the hyperthyroid and causing the panic attacks or hypothyroid and contributing to the depression, mm -hmm. it's a different medicine. Absolutely. Um, if it is cyclical, like every winter, which is not uncommon, like you will not find me ever living in Alaska. If I had to do all dark, I know I would get depressed. I love the sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, and so those days, like, so as a family, my husband's British and we go to London. And so although the London I fog <laughs> in Christmas, because it's beautiful to be with the family, Absolutely. daylight is from like 8 a.m to 3 p.m. And that daylight is often gray and foggy. So there's really not a lot of sun. After a couple of years of doing it, we would bring a light box. A light box is also a type of therapy that's mm -hmm. not medicine, that 30 to 45 minutes a day kind of prevents that, you know, winter blues as we sit, call it. Right, yeah. Um, so all those things differentiate. And so those are the things that I kind of try to explore so that we have a treatment plan that's tailored to the person's story, not a one size fits all. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how would you say, or not even how, what is the most common um, illness that you're noticing or disorders that you're noticing within the pediatric population at this time or the ones that you do treat and like so, how do you put together a treatment plan for them so anxiety and adhd are probably the more common hmm. um, and adhd because it is if a hyperactive type disruptive to their community and not just themselves so it's noticed right when he, when you're the child that the teachers constantly saying stop don't do that where are you come back here mm -hmm. um, that gets noticed and the teachers inform the parents and that happens adhd and attentive type probably common too not always noticed mm -hmm. um, but as you get older and work gets more difficult it'll become more obvious if that's something that you have mm -hmm. and then anxiety anxiety is probably the most common thing that most people present not just to me but even to primary care doctors mm -hmm. if you look at statistics based on years, anxiety is usually the most presenting reason. They may not always come up front saying, I have anxiety, but mm -hmm. through teasing out what's going on, anxiety usually plays a big role in whatever's worsening or affecting their health, medically and mentally. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Especially for the pediatric population. I'd say that a lot are probably going back many, mm -hmm. maybe like even 20 or so years, I'm not sure people even thought that kids can become anxious because, you know, you probably usually think that that was like an adult thing. Like how right. does um, anxiety present you, that you've noticed anxiety presenting in the pediatric population? 
So for all of us, kids and adults, there are externalizers and internalizers. Mm. The externalizer is the person when they're anxious, may mm. be nasty or rude to the people around them. They feel mm. this inner sense of loss of control. Mm -hmm. And so they become bossy mm. and demanding or blaming on other people because they're trying to tone down the inner upheaval, oh. right? And then the internalizers are the ones that become really quiet and they're afraid to talk in class. They don't raise their hands. They are nervous that they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. So panic attacks usually start happening later on, more into your teenage years. Mm -hmm. The younger kids present either um, irritable or angry, and that can also be a symptom of depression. It's also what else happens that helps you differentiate anxiety versus depression. Right. Uh, but... Um, so when they're, there's separation anxiety, right? So kids developmentally have fears. They're afraid mm -hmm. of the boogeyman, the guy under the bed, the dark. Those are kind of developmentally normal. There's that stranger anxiety when they're really little. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of normal developmental stuff along the trajectory. And those get treated not with medicine per se, but kind of reassurance and proving their ability to be independent. Yeah, that's scary, but maybe it's not true. And you got this and I'm here, just knock on the door if you see something, but did you really see something? And giving them that belief that even if it's scary, they are tough and stronger than they think. And you know, you can, like kids that have nightmares or bad dreams, you talk them through it. We teach them that there's, you know, sometimes maybe it's that they have to pee and their body's waking them up to go to the bathroom. So we say, you know, go to the bathroom before. You can even use one of those dream catchers that tells them that this is gonna catch some of the bad dreams, we're gonna be fine. Cause you know, at 10 years old, you might not want to be sleeping with your child as they are too afraid to sleep alone. Sometimes having a lovey or a comfy blanket to cuddle can be helpful. It doesn't always have to be medicine and it doesn't always have to be oh my God, this is horrible, right? It just needs to be worked through. Um, so anxiety is really common. So separation anxiety, when they're littler, then it becomes, uh, you know, and so separation anxiety can look internal or external. So the separation anxiety that's the external kid is the one that like has a tantrum before they have to go to school, mm. right? They don't really want to be away from their family and it's not comfortable and it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And for that, you kind of, help them understand that you get that they're nervous and anxious. It doesn't mean they have to be mean mm -hmm. and that we're going to go to school. And the more we do these things, the more we realize it's not so bad. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. That was good. I love it. I love it. You gave us some great insights into the pediatric population and into knowing that not all behavioral issues stems from the fact that this person is naughty right? It could yeah. be dealing with internal and they're manifesting it externally or, right. you know, some withdrawn. Right. And so it might not be only, oh, this person is shy. It could be something else going on, right? right. Yeah. Internally. Wow, wow, wow. So, um, you know, I said that we're in this pandemic. <laughs> Woo! Right. We're talking about anxiety and depression. We sure do. Those levels have creeped up a Absolutely. lot. So what would you give, what are some advice that you can give for, um, you know, those who notice all of a sudden, wow, I'm starting to feel anxious. I'm starting to really panic. I'm seeing like, wow, the cases of COVID have risen so much. 
and all of this is going on? What are some advice that you can give for these people that they can probably handle if they wanted to try to handle this stuff at home before, if it's not going to work or if it does not work, okay, the next step is to see the psychiatrist. So I think mindset's a really important thing in how we understand and interpret things. So when they created the term social distance, I think it was a mistake. It's really mm-hmm. physical distance. We should wow. not be socially distancing. Physical. We should stay connected. I think one of the best ways to manage these things is through a support system, knowing that you're not alone and that there's other people that are struggling and working on ways to figure out what, hey, what worked for you? Oh, I want to try that and still be able to be safe in this isolative, physically isolative state that we're trying to create to keep these numbers down so people who are really sick have a space in the hospital to get treated. Mm. The other piece is that um, exercise can be extremely helpful for anxiety because so your brain and your body respond to anxiety physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally right so if you think about somebody who's having a panic attack the symptoms are increased heart rate sweating um breathing right they look like they're hyperventilating when you're running your heart rate increases you sweat your breath is so true Yes, triggering the same stuff, but having that physical piece gives you the opportunity for your body to come up and in a healthy way, come down because it's fatigued and then your the autonomic nervous system kind of resets itself. But if you only have the emotional panic, there's no exertion to chew up all of that adrenaline that you've just created. So exercise helps that, right? It keeps your cup from being lower. So the fill it takes much more. Ah. Um, Other things are meditation or relaxation techniques, and there are incredible websites out there that will, for free, give you thousands of choices. So there's transcendental meditation, which for me is much more difficult because my brain works a mile a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, And so staying in this one space of thought can be a little bit hard, but I keep trying to master because it's a practice. It's not a master, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's guided meditation. And so guided meditation is usually a voice, someone who has a calming, soothing voice. And that's why I say thousands, because what's calming and soothing to me may be like a chalkboard for you. And that's based on memories and experiences that, you know, maybe that New York American voice is soothing for me, but it would be like horrible for a British person who couldn't understand a word we're saying. (laughs) That's probably true. Insight Timer is my favorite and it's free and there's thousands and thousands of people and you can type in how long you want your meditation to be or what you want it to focus on. So do you want it to be anxiety to help with sleep onset? And you just kind of click away until you find the right people that you like listening to and you set aside time every morning or if it's for sleep every evening, that's just for you to kind of decompress either to start the day better or to end the day kind of going into a more restful sleep state. And that's something that I actually do every day. I meditate about 20 minutes every morning before I start my day, Mm -hmm. just so I have some calm before I start running through, you know, caring for others. And what was the name of that? Um, Insight Timer, I-N-S-I-G-H-T timer.com. You can either download the app or you can um, 
Oh gosh, my phone, even though I silenced it, I could still hear it. <laughs> that's okay. Because with all that's going on and you are so very awesome, you have really highlighted so many different, um, the different types of therapy that's out there. We've given a little bit of insight into how the pediatric population um, expresses anxiety and or depression and also how us as adults, how we probably manifest and what are some of the manifestations of anxiety and depression in us as adults. Now, with all that you have done in all your years of treating um, children and also adults, you have decided that you wanted to go even further, right? And you have decided that you wanted to create a program to help with stress and anxiety. Um, there incorporating a lot more than just the therapy part. Now, please give us some insight into this program that you have created because sure. I'm very, very excited about it. Just so you know, there are tons more therapies that we didn't touch on. And there's a great, if you go to psychologytoday.com and you type in types of therapies, it will list the inordinate different so that you can find the one that you think makes the most sense for what you need that would be most palatable because therapy is hard. Absolutely. It is hard. Either you're, you're making changes or you're exposing your private selves. So if you can find one that you think might be the approach that works, start with that one. Mm -hmm. With regards to my program, so I have been cooking since I was a little girl, helping my mom, and then throughout the years taking classes here and there and cooking, and I've catered lots of parties for families and weddings and bat mitzvahs and engagement parties, and that's something that I do on the side. And then I've also been doing pottery for the past um, 10 to 15 years. And that's one of my grounding techniques. So when we do art and you immerse in art, what happens is, is that your brain empties all the chatter that we have from day to day. And it kind of just focuses in on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. and for that time that you're doing art, it's called this state of flow where time kind of gets distorted. And mm -hmm. for some, it stands still. Like I can be working on a piece of pottery and I think 20 minutes have gone by and I look at my clock and it's been two and a half hours. But mm -hmm. during that time, there's this like easing and joyful experience that helps ground me from, because as a psychiatrist, I hear lots of sad stories. If I were to just sit and carry all of those, mm -hmm. it would make me heavier than my ability to stand, so to speak. Absolutely. And so that's one place where I can put it. Meditation is another place. So really trying to find the tools. So as I've gone through all of these experiences in an effort to kind of stay present and healthy for myself and the people I care for, these are the tools. Cooking has a therapeutic component, the repetitiveness of chopping, the smells, the colors, all of those things. If you can be present in that experience can yeah. also be therapeutic. And then of course you get to feed people and then they're happy because it tastes <laughs> Yes. So I created this program for professional women in groups of, you know, five to eight, where they can um, learn some pottery, learn some cognitive behavioral stress and relaxation or mindfulness techniques, and create a community of support. So I currently have a cohort of women physicians that are starting in September. And the reason that I pick women as opposed to everyone is one um, most importantly, if we were to look at the statistics of burnout in majority of studies, regardless of it's women professionals or lawyers or whatever, we are 8% higher than men in suffering from stress and burnout. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so if we're going to treat any, if I'm going to put my money into anyone, it's the ones that need it the most. And, we, and they are the backbone of their families for the majority. No offense to the men because they do their part. But really the woman and part of why I think it's higher is because even if they have a full-time job, they're still the mommy, mm -hmm. right? They're the primary go-to person in the majority of modern families. Not every family, but majority. Mm -hmm. And so the burden got so much worse when their kids were home at virtual school. And when their kids were scared about COVID, they're the ones that are trying to be the tougher one to take care of everybody in all of these changes. And so the hope was that through learning some of these skills, they could not feel so weighted and feel lighter and recognize that they're not alone. Absolutely. And part of the women physician piece is that medicine needs to systemically change. And if mm -hmm. we don't join together to create these little groups of people that feel empowered to actually make changes for our profession and our patients, then it's going to continue to falter. And it's, it's not a healthy industry for most of us right now. Wonderful, wonderful. Hey, so not only is she taking care of her patients, they're the children and adolescents, she's also using her skill set to help to take care of those who help others, which is the physicians, especially the women physicians, now noted because of the additional stress. So professional women, but also including the women physicians, right? So we're not trying to exclude any of our lawyers or any of our higher professional women out there. It's also the backbone of your family. She's saying you guys are all included in the subset for which she's trying to help us so that we can sustain ourselves and be there for our family. Now with all that you do, what do you do for relaxation? Because you help so many others. How do you relax? As we talked about, so pottery is one of those things that I use for relaxation. Mm -hmm. And my family and I joke that when I'm very stressed, you can tell because the number of pieces that I make <laughs> in pottery increases exponentially. That basically it's, you know, linked. It's a direct correlation. We and have then, more pieces. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. And then there's the meditation that I do every morning. So I start with, you know, good baseline. And then I walk with my children or my husband. I live about four miles from my office. And so at least two or three times a week, I will either walk home by myself through little um, Greenway or with one of my friends who's a lawyer that works nearby. I just find time to make sure that I take care of myself so that I can be able to take care of others. And at at first it felt uncomfortable because it was like, there are so many things that I needed to do. How could I do it was, it seemed selfish, but it's really not selfish. It's really important. If we don't take care of ourselves first, then we can't really be available and present for those that need us. And since you're doing it for them as much as you're doing it for yourself. Absolutely. You're doing it for them. When you take care of yourself, you're doing it for others because now right. you are able to then take care of others. What a wonderful way to wrap up this wonderful interview. Wow. Now, here's the thing. This entire time in our interview, I have been mispronouncing our doctor's name. Tell us on camera how we pronounce your name. It's okay. It's a really uncommon. It's commonly mispronounced. So Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-T-E-R, Schachter. Schachter. So a lot of people say scatter or they ah, say scatter. Well, I didn't do that one. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
No, it's super commonly mispronounced. So. Dr. Schachter, there in North Carolina, helping the children and the adolescent and also the adults, especially the women, to be able to get great care, great mental care, great therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, different types of therapy. And also, in addition to that, she's helping the professional women to get some mindfulness to get stronger, to get this mental awareness through art and incorporating the skill set which she has developed, knowing that when you are working with your hands and you're working with art, you're in a flow state. Time is leaving. Time is gone. All your stressors have gone away. And then at the end, you have something beautiful Absolutely. to represent all that you've gone through. It's either it's a beautiful meal, via the cooking or a beautiful piece of pottery wonderful 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 thank you so much for joining us today now the last thing that we need to know is how 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 can we find you um so my website for the mindfulness and pottery program is silverspaces.org and then my psychiatric website is silverpsychiatric.com and then i have an instagram and i have a Facebook page. I think the Facebook is shrinky.potter because I am a shrink. And if you can't tell because we're on a podcast, I'm kind of petite and I'm a potter. <laughs> I'm under five feet. So tiny, but mighty. Um, nice. And then, um, yeah. And so that's how you refine me. And on Instagram, spaces shrinky s-h-r-i-n-k-y dot potter or you can look me up as randy schachter and that business page will pop up wonderful but you'll see some of the pottery that i do and you'll see some of the food that i create and those are things the food gets served during those you know events so that they can enjoy food mm -hmm. and break bread with their friends and make relationships that are lasting and then any recipes that they like they have access to Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Great, great, great. So all of this great information is available on our Your Caring Docs page. That's www.yourcaringdocs, U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S. And this podcast is available for all the areas where you listen to the podcast. You can find us, right? So if you're on Apple, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Buzzsprout, if you're on Google, YouTube, yes, it's all available. The video will be available on our YouTube page, Your Caring Docs. And also on our Instagram and on our Twitter, on our LinkedIn and on our IG pages where, and also TikTok. We will tick and talk here. Why? Because I, we believe that everyone should be able to get all this great info so that you guys can make some great decisions for yourselves, right? So understanding what's going on and be able to make some great health and wellness decision. And the biggest thing is that you know if you are in the North Carolina area and you would love to be part of um, Dr. Schachter's Ah, got it. <laughs> Team and also part of her cohort for the professional women. You can find all of that information here on our page. I'm Dr. Tamara Beckford with Your Karen Docs. Thank you guys for tuning in. And thank you, Dr. Schachter, for being here with us and taking care of us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Dr. Beckford for making it happen. Absolutely. Bye.